Welcome to uh, sort of a spontaneous live room, live podcast uh, with me, Felipe Cardenas. I'm here to talk about Atlanta United's 2-0 win over Inter-Miami, a 10-man Inter-Miami squad uh, from beautiful Puerto Rico. I'm here in Puerto Rico for a few days. I'm headed to my brother's wedding uh, in South Bend, Indiana, where I grew up in a couple days. So I'm not in Atlanta, but I watched the game. I've been texting with people. I've been talking to people. I have my thoughts. I've been tweeting, uh, getting some interesting responses from fans from Atlanta United. Some people just think the team is great no matter what. That's fine. That's why we love fandom. Uh, and, and I think there are certainly other points uh, of, of emphasis that I want to talk about. And then we're going to get to your questions. I'm going to bring people up here and we'll, we'll start that conversation going. So this is pretty straightforward what went right you know what did not go well uh, i called it an odd performance on twitter i really did think it was sort of a weird game uh perhaps that's from the long layoff for both teams someone tweeted at me saying that's sort of been the trend this week on this weekend throughout mls uh i cannot agree or disagree i've not watched uh, every mls game uh, but I think there is a trend here with Atlanta United, uh, with how these games play out. And everyone that's here knows that there've been, there's been an injury crisis that the, the team is still dealing with today. They didn't have Gonzalo Pineda, the head coach on the touchline. Uh, they don't have Tiago Amada for the next two games. He has a three game suspension. So, so today was the first game he missed. Uh, so let's get all of those caveats out, out of the way right now before anyone says yes, but. XYZ injuries, etc. We know that that's the case. This team is dealing with a complete uh, disaster as far as key injuries go for any team at any level uh, in professional soccer, MLS or global. Uh, and I think, you know, honestly, we're in the summer window where those some of those holes are going to be addressed. We know that Raul Golino, the Chivas goalkeeper, uh, former Mexican national team goalkeeper is going to come in uh, soon. I understand he was going through his medical this weekend uh, and he's going to step in and, and probably fight for that number one spot right away. As soon as he's eligible to play um, the center back position, uh, the, the player from Tigres Purata still seems like a uh, somewhat of a lock. I don't have any new information other than that. That's certainly something that was being discussed and that makes sense. They need to shore up, the back line, whether they have depth, youth, whatever you want to call it, if this team in the front office uh, really is going to take this season seriously, they need to make some changes. They need to add players, quality players, experienced players at these key positions. The hole remains in center midfield where Ozzy Lanza was, uh, and, and that's going to be, as, as the season continues, uh, just a massive, massive gap. You know, I think today you saw Emerson Hyman step in and play really well, and you see his quality. We know what he can do. He is that uh, very technical, connecting uh, midfielder. He can orchestrate. He can. I wouldn't even call it dictating tempo. That's not really what he's doing. He's just keeping the ball moving and being very smart on the ball. Uh, but something that Taylor Twelman said today on the telecast, I was watching the ESPN2 telecast, and, and this isn't breaking news or anything, but it is, it is confirmation uh, and, and a very similar idea from what I hear from scouts, international scouts that watch Atlanta United. Too many similar players in the same position. Uh, and so you need to break that up a little bit and add somebody in the middle that's not doing the, the role, that's, that's not trying to compete with Marcelino Moreno, 
It's not trying to get on the ball like Ibarra and get on the ball like Heinemann. Just a central defensive central midfielder that's doing a lot of other more important things than dictating tempo. He's, he's breaking tackles. He's cleaning up messes in the middle. He's stopping counterattacks. Uh, they've had that in the past here in Atlanta with George, with Jeff Lorenowitz, uh, Eric Rometty, Carlos Carmona. I mean, this this team for a while was like team defensive midfielder, and they've they've really lost that. So that's a that's a big hole. Uh, and, and of course, center forward. You know, today we see Joseph Martinez with an assist and a goal, and a 96 minute performance. I don't think you can ask for anything more from Joseph Martinez at this stage of his second comeback right uh you know i thought he was okay you know he gets the goal a very a very joseph martinez finish inside the box uh, very business-like with that finish uh you know you know i think he his hold of play remains underappreciated you can see that his touch and his timing is still a little bit off and like that that chemistry with his teammates you know still feels like these these are new players to him because he hasn't had the time to be in training with them all the time uh, but some some flashes, right? Um, so those really are the keys. You know, I think there are fans that continue to really harp on the left winger position or just like a straight up hybrid winger, like we see a lot throughout MLS with, for instance, Severino and Real Salt Lake, Espinosa in San Jose, Pavon when he was here, Christian Pavon when he was here in uh, with the Galaxy, Diego Rossi, those sort of like hybrid hybrid wingers that can play as a second striker, they are money in MLS. And Atlanta hasn't really had that player. They thought Eric Lopez was going to be that guy, and he just didn't work out. So that does lead me to the second point I want to make, and then I'm going to open this up to you guys. I tweeted this today, and I've been thinking about this for for a while. You know, I, I, I'm guilty of it as well. I want to make sure I, I, I say this, like of use, using the team's youth as this excuse basically you know and today it was like listen like you look at the this isn't about the injuries someone responded to that like well like how why would carlos pocanegra admit that they're going young when they have all these injuries no it has nothing to do with the injuries this is the build this is the roster build that he brought to atlanta this is the players that left he's he literally took away got rid of traded however you want to say it experienced players experienced players that even today in 2022 perhaps they're not at the the same exact level that they were when they were winning titles but though that personality of player is no longer here in atlanta they were substituted replaced by much younger players atlanta was one of the first teams that really went all in on the young dp uh mechanism they brought in uh, ibarra santi sosa and Eric Lopez, three right away, boom, three players. That that's the the allotment that you're allowed, and they made them. They were essentially brought in to start, and so that to me is a rebuild. Whether Atlanta and Carlos Bocanegra want to admit that, he told me in 2019 that he will never he will never want to be in that position. He has done that. He has rebuilt the side, and that brings growing pains. Growing pains. That is literally a quote from Brad Guzan. Brad Guzan has has routinely talked to us, the media, about the youth of the team. Carlos Bocanegra has talked about the youth of the team. Gonzalo Pineda has talked about the youth of the team. When when trying to get through the clutter of why isn't it working? Why is there no chemistry? Why are they losing games? Why are they giving get, getting rid of or giving up goals late in the game? The youth has been the number one 
metric, really, if you talk, if you, if you want to call it that. And so that's why today I brought that up. Carlos Bocanegra and the front office, they have not changed their messaging. I think that's been an issue. And again, it's because it would be a hard pivot. You know, even other local reporters that have brought that up or brought up the change in coaches and how that's been a pivot from going to DeBoer to Stephen Glass uh, to Heinze, Heinze to Pineda. They've, the front office has skipped around the pivot, the hard pivot, the, the big change. And that's what we're experiencing here when you look at Atlanta United, whether you're covering the team, uh, supporting the team, or calling games on a national broadcast, you see a totally different team. You see a young team, George Campbell starting, Rocco Rios Novo, 20 years old, starting in goal, Caleb Wiley starting at left back, Ibarra in the middle. Uh, and, you know, that's that wasn't the idea for Atlanta. I think Atlanta United always wanted to bring up their young players through the system. Yes. They told me earlier this last year that they rank close to the top 10 in homegrown minutes. So clearly there is a, there's a plan here. So why not just admit it? Why not come out and say it? This is what we're doing. This is where we are right now. You can't sit 10th on the table and, 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 and act like these things aren't right in front of us. So th- that's going to be interesting as you see these holes begin to get filled by the front office, the type of players that they bring in. Darren Eels has been pretty blunt about not being a club that's going to bring in the overage uh, star, former star. So Atlanta is not going to be that team. The one thing they have said, and I'll give them credit, is they want to be a club that brings in young players in their prime, young South American players in their prime, great. That's a lot of teams in MLS want to do that. But when you remove a nucleus and a personality from the team and then bring in young players and those are your starters and they start struggling, I mean, you, you just come out and admit it. So I think that's where Atlanta United is right now. On the, you know, and to double down on this, you have a young coach you have a young coach. I'm covering a coach that I'm older than. It's crazy. Like sometimes I think about that. Like I'm older than you, Gonzalo Pineda, um, and 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 that's that's significant. First year coach, first year head coach, nine year assistant. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he brought up nine year. Maybe it's just nine years in MLS. He told me. He told us that the other day. Uh, but again, you know, a lot of a lot of question marks. He told us last week. He hadn't. He didn't know Rocco Rios Novo. He hadn't seen him. He had to see him in a friendly against Pachuca to give him this opportunity. And that's something that I talk about a lot when when I talk to other reporters here. The only player that Gonzalo Pineda has had a hand in bringing in was Ozzy Alonso. And that was was very intentional. Then he gets injured. The rest of the guys inherited. And yes, you look at this team. Today was not a good example because the play was sloppy. But when you look at Atlanta United, yes, you do see technical players you know today again forget today because there were some pretty bad touches out there bad balls into space hopeful crosses mistimed runs mistimed uh through balls you know crosses back to you know a, a back cross to the to the penalty spot looking for a trailing player the trailing player is not there so today was not a great game but overall the team is a technical side not everyone but there are technical players. And I just feel like it's still very much in process, the roster. And again, when I talk to scouts, I talked to an international scout 
first story I did on Marcelino Moreno, a scout that told me, I look at that team, I look at the roster. He called it a narrow roster. I thought that was a very interesting way to put it, narrow. Two players, too many players that are similar, and a player like Marcelino Moreno, who this scout told me he would trade in a second. So that's the team that Carlos Bocanegra has, has built. Uh, it, it, to me, it's very much work in progress. And as they now begin to look at Mexico uh, for, for players that can come in, uh, that may not be getting the opportunities they wanted in Mexico, uh, that's both uh, Gulinho and Purata. These are players that were on the outside looking in at Chivas and, Tig- and Tigres. But can they come in and, and help? Yes. Uh, and, and as far as the goalkeeper position goes, you know, I applaud Rocco Rios Novo today. Not really tested, but doesn't matter. He gets a shout out, shout out in his first start. Uh, you know, when I see him in training and I see him just like his mannerisms and the way he handles the ball, both with his feet and with his hands, very much a South American style goalkeeper, uh, a little flashy uh, at times. Everything from just like the overhand, the overhead pass with his hand like a throw-in pass to get it over a defender to like kind of loop it over over a defender uh, or an attacker to get to his defender just like things like that are are fun to see and so we'll see what happens with him if he competes but that's that's really my monologue here i want to be clear that that's that's what i see i see atlanta united with again a club with a lot of promise but this season the soccer hasn't been good enough it's been incredibly inconsistent uh there's still unsure what they're doing on set pieces. They are very vulnerable on dead ball situations and corner kicks. You, you're not, you don't know what you're getting from the back line, but if you want to look at this team as promising, young, somewhat exciting at times, the, the, the unpredictable, if that excites you, then we're on the same page here because that's what, the team needs to build off of instead of acting like nothing has changed and they still have an identity. No, no. I think they have a script when they're on the field, but I don't see this like defined footballing identity. So I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. So raise your hand. I would love to get you up here. Um, If I don't see you already, let's see. I've got somebody here. All right, Alex and raise your hand. I'll get you up here. This is for you. This is for, for, for all of you. Alex, what's up, man? What's up? How are you doing? Thanks so much for uh, for doing these rooms. Love love hearing from you. Of course. Thanks for coming on. What's up? What's what, what do you What's on your mind? Yeah, I guess this is one of those games where uh, I think you maybe give yourself away as whether you're kind of a half glass half full or glass half empty kind of guy. And I'm clearly a glass half empty kind of guy because I watched this game and it was just so frustrating. I'm, and I'm actually more disheartened watching this than I was excited. All your caveats aside, I felt like we should have scored five or six easy. This was a bad team. We're playing at home. We're a man up. And I still feel like we're, we're halfway through the season. And this, our offense looks like it's a bunch of guys that are just meeting them for the first time. They have little chemistry. I mean, yeah, Araujo and, and Joseph come together for the goal, but you know, it looks like it happens in between many, many, many frustrating plays and missed chances. I don't know. Maybe I'm being harsh. I'd love your feedback on that. Uh, and then I'll just say real quick, I, I couldn't agree with a scout more that said they'd get rid of Mourinho. I know he's a, 
a fan favorite, but I think he's a luxury we don't really need. We can't really yeah. afford, and we that that roster spot would be much better spent on that elusive left winger, even that that big stud center uh, defensive midfielder you you were talking about. So yeah, I just want to hear your, your response to that. All right, don't go anywhere, Alex. Hold on a second, because oh sure, sure, sure. And, yeah, hold yeah. on. So let me let me say one thing. I agree. I think it is frustrating, even for me. That I, I I turned in my fan card in 2018. Remember, I was a founding member of this club. I put in a lot of money. When this club came to Atlanta, I was very excited to, to go to games. I tailgated. Uh, I went to every game at Bobby Dodd. It was fun. I start covering the team. I turned in that fan card. And there's still frustrating thoughts that creep in every time I see this team post-2020. And you're right. I think the attack just looks like a bunch of guys that just are out there playing. And here's the one thing that I think Gonzalo Pineda for – the the benefit of the doubt that I tend to give him for as a first year coach and sort of inheriting this rebuild without having played a part in it, uh, there are still decisions that puzzle me. Like for instance, Ronaldo Cisneros playing in a wide position. He he keeps telling us Gonzalo Pineda that Ronaldo Cisneros can play wide. Oh yeah, he can play wide. Yes, he's a center forward, but he's played wide. And Ronaldo told us the other day, yes, I played in a wide position. I don't see it at all to play in a wide position. That's the one of the most technical positions to be on in a, on a soccer pitch. Like that's the player that you want to be able to dink past a guy with one touch, one to somebody, go at people, be completely adventurous. And he just looks completely out of sorts. Ronaldo Cisneros on a wide position. He's a center forward. He's a big number nine. And so, whether that's not having trust in other players to play there, or thinking that you don't have the the depth at all and you just have to go with the guys that you have and perhaps that's you know that that's uh, a byproduct of injuries or whatever you want that one just doesn't make sense to me P- putting players in positions that they're not going to succeed and then today this was interesting alex that you talk about the attack and the, and the lack of chemistry and guys that are going sort of just out there and playing taylor twelman said something today after one good ball from Brooks Lennon. He said, wow, like, you know, he gets chemistry with Brooks, with, with Joseph Martinez in training. Yes, I've been there. I've seen it. I've seen some of that. They talk about it. But the one thing that Taylor Twelman also said, um, I'm going to mute you for a second here, then I'll get you back up. Uh, the one thing that Taylor Twelman also said about Brooks Lennon was like, oh, if he can get those balls into Joseph Martinez, like Julian Gressel, uh, we're onto something. How long are we going to be saying that? Like, how long is that going to be the expectation for Brooks Lennon or anyone else. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's not the profile of the player that's there anymore. You know, he, they are two completely different players, in my opinion. The front office felt Brooks Lennon was better than Julian Gressel, straight up. And so the comparison there, I think now it needs to be put to bed because the, the club moved on from that. They're not going to get that. That was untapped potential, untapped an untapped partnership that just blew up in 2017 and 2018 between Gressel and Joseph. It's not happening with Brooks Lennon. I don't think it will. And again, you can keep talking. You can point to the the injuries with Joseph and all that, which have not have limited that that opportunity. But Alex, um, close it out with me here. What do you think about that? Does that clear up any of your frustration um, at all about perhaps the fact that this is just a team that hasn't had enough time on the field and the profiles are different. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I hear what you probably can't be emphasized enough that Pineda didn't build 
something he inherited, and so he's doing the best he can with the pieces he has, and maybe that's why it feels kind of thrown together and the players maybe don't fit. To your point about Cisneros, I, I don't disagree at all. Um, but yeah, it's just... I, I'm just surprised we're still at this point, you know, halfway through. I think John Champion even, like, he used the word freestyling, right? I think during yes, the broadcast yes, yeah. at one point. And uh, so I, I just, it's a weird place to be in at this point. And I, you know, maybe it's it's uh, it's just expected of a, of a with all the injuries and everything, or or maybe it's a limitation of Pinedo or a limitation of the roster. I, I don't know. But it's it's just, um, yeah, I'm still frustrated. No, I hear you. I think I think it's a little it's a combination of all that. Perhaps limitation is too strong a word, but maybe you're absolutely right. I think Pineda, the pressure is going to continue to build on him. I do think that that pressure will be much less than any coach that Atlanta United has ever had. But it will be there. You know, it has to come from the fans. It has to come from us. And it's going to come from within. When I spoke to his assistant, Diego De La Sora, at the media game, uh, these are guys that want to do well here. They're not coasting. He was like, we can't reinvent the wheel. Soccer is what it is, but we're just working hard and trying to be good, you know, and maybe they're, maybe they're feeling the same things that you are. Maybe they look at their team and they're like, what the hell, like what is going on? So it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out. Alex, thanks, man. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. Remove from stage. All right, Robert. Hey, uh, Felipe, do you have me? I, I can hear you. What's going on? Yeah, just kind of going off of the same kind of vein of thought and, and talking about that left wing position. I thought when um, Dom came on, obviously it's a as a substitute already against a fatigued team that's been playing a man down. But I thought Dom look, looked really uh, competent in that left wing spot. And do you think that um, after Almada comes back from suspension, it would be worth trying a front three that is uh, Dom, Joseph, Aruju, and then with uh, Tiago and Moreno slotting in, in some combination in midfield behind them to kind of uh, bolster that kind of attacking run. Just see what Dom has at that left spot since he's been so dynamic when he's been on the pitch so far with Atlanta United. Uh, maybe, but again, I think you bring up a good point here with Tom Dwyer. He has been effective. I just, but he's not a left winger at all, at all. Again, like if you put him in a left wing and you're like, and you tell Dom Dwyer to play like an attacking left winger, which means getting on the ball, facing your fullback and literally dicing him up every single time, whether you're going inside, outside, providing a cross, getting a shot off, playing a one, two, like that's what you expect from a winger. And if you ask coaches from around the world, if you read interviews or you read books from the top coaches, Pep, Jose, uh, if you, me that I cover Tata Martino and he talks about this, about he, Tata Martino gets hammered about why can't Mexico, you know, get these goals. And they, they come up with this player that isn't a unicorn, but it's like this guy that they need. It's like when, when, when we aren't creating chances and we're, or we're, we're frustrating ourselves that player on the wing, that player that will take you on, that will take you on no matter what is key. And Atlanta doesn't have that guy on the wing. So Don Dwyer is coming in. And this is an interesting point, Robert, because today he was brought in and uh, immediately John Champion and Tom uh, Taylor Trollman were like, all right, he's coming in on the wing, but he has the exact same profile that Joseph Martinez, which is what I said months ago when he was on trial. I'm like, you know, this actually makes sense. Joseph is injury is injured. Dom Dwyer is stocky, 
a, a stocky center forward that wants to be in the box, wants to, he wants to wrestle you. Dom Dwyer wants to wrestle you as if you're a center back. He wants to mix it up. That's not a winger to me. And so, it, again, it's another example of a Band-Aid uh, where, you know, you're bringing players in, you're, put, you're playing them in different positions where they're not, they're not comfortable, but eventually Dom ends up in the box. And so that's, that's the thing here. If this, if this is a fluid, sort of flexible front three, great. I'm all for that, but it has to work. Dom Dwyer, to me, has been one of the more effective players for Atlanta United since he's been here, but he's a center forward. Like you can't, yes, you can, you can do that front three robber that you came up with. Cool. But don't expect Dom Dwyer to be the winger that you're missing, that Atlanta United is missing. Eventually he's going to want to come inside and then you're back to the same issues that Atlanta United has in the middle. Guys that are too similar, battling for the same positions, battling for the same space. So I hear you. I just don't think that's the ultimate solution. And apologies for that dog that's going nuts over here, but an interesting point you make, Robert, nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, just want to say thank you again for having me on. Thank you for doing this uh, space. We always appreciate it. Of course, man. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks for your question. Come back if you have another question. I'll get you back on. All right, Nick. Hey, can you hear me, Felipe? I can hear you. Awesome. Well, um, my dad and I are driving home from the game, and we had a great time today. We're sort of a little more positive than I think some people are, and we and we were debating this. And I want to get your opinion. What What do you think the ceiling of this team is? Like, how good can they be despite how injured they are and how young they are? Oh man, that's a great question. It's, I think it's a simple question, but it's a very good one because okay, so you're asking me. The, the the current team as we see it right now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, listen, they've been pretty open. If you ask some of the players what the goal is, it's not, it's not MLS cup anymore. It just isn't. They've been smart enough to, to, to say, no, we're not trying to win the title anymore. They're trying to get that fourth spot so they can host a playoff game. And that to me is the ceiling. That's the ceiling for this team. They can do that if they go on a run, they get wins, and they prove that they can play against the better teams in this league. And that's coming up in this stretch. It happens to be a stretch of games that they won't have uh, Tiago Mata. The timing is awful. But this is the test. That's going to answer your question, Nick. Can they go to New England? Can they go to Toronto? Can they, can they play man up against NYCFC, which is the best team in the league? They're not only the defending champions, to me, bar none, the best team in the league. I don't care where they are in the standings. They they literally went all in on CONCACAF Champions League and said, we'll catch up in MLS. But they're the best team, in my opinion. They just lost their coach. Maybe that'll be a ding, but they have very good players. They're solid. They know what they're doing, and they always give Atlanta United problems. So that's we're going to see this. We're going to see how good this team can be with the limitations that they have. But we're, and we're going to find out really soon. That, to me, the ceiling is hosting a game in the playoffs. If they do that, this it's a successful season, honestly. Uh, you know, because they that at the end of the season, they can say, we battled through the injuries. We battled through the adversity. Uh, we got through the schedule. Uh, we focused on the schedule. We didn't have Champions League. We didn't have U.S. Open Cup. And we just focused on getting that playoff spot, and we earned it. If they do that, they can honestly 
applaud themselves and move forward in 2023 with a new plan. But right now, that's that's where I see that's as good as this team can go currently right now as we see them. I like I like that answer a lot. It it, it gave me some clarity and sort of some thoughts I had. And I think my biggest takeaway from today was we, we scored two goals and got three points because Joseph and Aruju were on the field. It's been a while since we've seen something like that, and that's sort of why I was wondering that. So thank you. I appreciate it. Of course, and you're right. Listen, I'm going to – I change rooms here. Apologies for that. There's an echo, but that dog is driving me crazy. Um, <laughs> listen, Ado, that Oh, my goodness. Um, Adarujo, let's talk about him. You bring up a good point, Nick. Um, I'm going to get you off the stage, but listen, come back, Nick. If you have another question, come back because that was a really good one. But you bring up a good point. Adarujo, let's talk about him. The goal, so well taken. I don't. I honestly don't think any goalkeeper is going to get that. If you look at the angle from behind the goal, he curls it around a defender into the side netting, um, where a goalkeeper just doesn't have any time to get there, and it's well struck. It's bent into that post. Uh, just a really, really good goal, and the the type of goal that Adarujo scores all the time at training. We see it all the time and we sit there, we look at each other reporters and we're like, that dude doesn't miss. You know, when they play on small goals, they do small sided stuff and they use those like really tiny goals and they're and the goal is to just like the objective is to turn and just like hit a shot from wherever into that goal, the dude doesn't miss. So that was good to see. But after that, I don't think he was very good. Again, too you know, pressing too much, wanting to be the guy. Uh, and, 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 and I think that's pressure on Araujo. He, when we talk to him, I've asked him several times about, you know, the pressure of like the big signing and he just smiles. He's very Brazilian and just kind of smiles and he's chilling and he's like, nah, it's no big deal. I'm just here to score. I'm here to provide assists and I'm going to do that. But on the field, it's like, he just is a different player. He looks sometimes I think he plays angry and I don't think he should, he should play angry. I think he should just be able to go out there, float and coast coast pass guys and do what he did in that first five minutes of the game. The rest of the time, some flashes with Joseph, you know, I agree, uh, but not determinant enough, especially down 10 or up a man. And those players weren't able to break through. And like Alex said, put the game away, you know, two nil in the 89th minute and the game was still up for grabs. You know, Miami gets a goal and you know what can happen if you've been watching Atlanta United the last two or three years. So, actually the last two seasons. So again, I still think Araujo is a very good player. Uh, you know, a $12 million signing, ugh, you know, that's a lot of money. You, you, you've got to get production from those players and no one in the front office is going to disagree with me or disagree with any fan that says that, you know, from the very beginning, right before the pandemic, when I spoke to Darren Niels, we had an interview. This was when PT and Barco and all that was happening. Why aren't they producing? And he was like, in this league, you need your DPs to produce. That's not, again, that's not rocket science. That's not breaking news. But to hear it from a front office member, knowing this, the money they're spending, that to me, we're talking about Luis Araujo again. He's, he has to be better, in my opinion. All right. Tom, you're up. What's up, Tom? Hey, Felipe. Hey, sorry. Uh, can you hear me okay? I can hear you. 
I can hear you. Great. I don't know if you've talked about this because I just joined a little late, but, uh, you know, obviously with miles going down, there's definitely concerns in the back. But, uh, boy, uh, the performance of George and and the poise of Wiley for a 17-year-old today was very impressive. What are your thoughts about that? Well, let's start, with, let's start with George Campbell. Let me meet you here for a second. All right, let's start with George Campbell, a player that I've always liked, a player that I just feel like needs some battle scars, okay? like, But you see the potential, you see him on the ball, and you're like, yes, I like that. Uh, he can clean up some messes. He's not the paciest guy. But if he becomes a player that just relies on his awareness and his positioning, he's going to be a guy that can clean up messes. You know, you talk to people around Atlanta United, again, when he started to come up, this is 2019, I believe, in, in the press box, talking to Tony Annan, the former uh, academy director. He was like, he's going to be better than Miles Robinson. And let me, let me paraphrase. He essentially said he's better than Miles right now. So at 19 at the time, you know, as a teenager, better than where Miles was at that time. Now, Miles just blew up. You know, Miles... Uh, Miles Robinson became the the freak that he is, you know, and he became a very unique, in my opinion, type of defender. That look how important he is to you to the U.S. Men's National Team. Not he's not Van Dyke. He's not going to ping a ball diagonal and just like put it on somebody's foot. Uh, but he has tools and skills that are really difficult to replace, and you've seen that in his time with Atlanta United. So George Campbell has a lot to. Uh, improve on to get to that level where he is indispensable. Still not an indispensable player, but very much a player that the club is relying on and a great player to have to step in and play these games. And he's going to get better with games. So yeah, today was probably one of his much better performances. You know, those, those miscues in the back that he's had when he's building out of the back and just sort of gives it away. I didn't see that today, you know, so that that's a huge improvement. I thought he looked really confident. I think that groin is still bugging him a little bit, but today he played with a lot of confidence. And Caleb Wiley, uh, I've always liked, you know, like, you know, is he, you know, he has the potential to be a better, a better uh, homegrown than George Bella, straight up. Uh, and, and, and that's because I think he's more physical. He's a, he's a more physical player than George Bella. So that's going to translate much better at the high, at the at a higher level. International scouts are going to see his build, his youth, the national team experience, where he is a lock with the U20s. He's going to get looks, uh, and I, you know, I think Caleb Wiley is going to have a, a, a bigger exit through Atlanta United to perhaps Europe, Germany, wherever you want, than George Bella. And George Bella is very good. George Bella is in the discussion to play to be on this World Cup roster. So it's not to say. You know, what George Bellow is and what he accomplished should be minimized. I just think Caleb Wiley, with more time, he looks very raw, but with more time, he can be a play, a very complete, modern, left-sided defender. And, you know, George Bellow is called a modern defender, but I think that's because he was much more of an attacker, okay? Like, he grew up as an attacker. Caleb Wiley has been playing in the back through the youth system, and now he's going to get time in a back three or a back four, whatever you want. He's going to just continue to earn mileage as a left-sided defender. So, yeah, today was good for him, very good. Uh, Coming off an injury, it was great to see him uh, play as long as he did, I think, what, 80, 80 80-plus minutes. Uh, And, uh, again, what they say on the telecast is that he just needs to clean up his final ball. And I think just figure out what type of 
player he wants to be when he's in the final third. You know, I think he has a little, enough skill to get by some guys, but perhaps not a dribbler. But that's the, that is the biggest thing for young players and even more experienced players that once they're in the final third, what are you doing? You know, that's my biggest hang up with Anthony Robinson as he's a lock. He's going to start every game in the world cup up and he's, he can be a handful because he gets forward. But when he's in the final third, it's like, he's still playing a hundred miles an hour. I think Caleb Wiley is going to be a very good player, Tom, to, to answer your question. All right. Let's, let's. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Yep, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for the Anytime. 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 All right. Doug. Hey, Felipe. Happy Father's Day, man. That was a cool post you put up of the kids. Oh, thank you so much, Councilman. Thank you so much. Happy Father's Day to you as well. Thank you. So uh, I'm going to build off the, the last topic. You know, one could argue, I think, that Heinze did a lot for uh, Miles, you know, giving him a chance and, and obviously being a defender. So my question is, if it is a rebuild, you know, which players do you think benefit most from Pineda, from what you've seen? You know, who, who do you think is going to is going to benefit from his coaching and his approach, either individually or from a position perspective? Wow, another very good question. And now, if we think about the type of player, you're right. I think Gabor Hense was, you know, he he did not, again, I think, I don't want to blow up my spot. It's a story that I've been writing for a few months now, reporting on. Uh, but I just think that there was a miss. A misstep on both parties, the front office and Gabriel Heinze, and how that did not work out, because the book was out on Heinze, the type of the type of coach, the expectations that he had, his training methods. Uh, I spoke to a player that I ran into at the training ground who sort of dismissed the 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 water thing. He was like, "Ah, it was Gatorade," uh, but yes, he did strip the cafeteria of like ketchup and sugar and things like that. That some of the players weren't happy with. But to your point, yes, he did help the defenders a lot. That was who he was. Uh, I think from the back line into the midfield, you saw some uh, a lot of improvements tactically under Heinze on how to play with 10 men, how to attack uh, a, a low block. You know, there were, there were builds happening there. I think possession and the way they were trying to build their attacks under Heinze was just it wasn't working at you know in those 15 16 games or whatever that we saw there it was still a little bit too methodical but again i think it, that had a lot to do with player profile so gonzalo pineda for you know under for for under la volpe at, for mexico the world cup in 26 or in 20 in 2006 i'm sorry an attacking left fullback just like the player we just got done talking about caleb wiley that was him he was an attacking left uh fullback uh, that at the time, that was a very modern thing to do to just push your fullbacks way up the field and let them go. Uh, in MLS, he became more, Gonzalo Pineda became more of a central midfielder. Uh, this is not me trying to put myself into this narrative, but when I played with Gonzalo Pineda at the media game, uh, we just completely ran the midfield. It was great. Like we just, we knew where each other were. We were one touching everybody, like every one to touch around people. He was always well positioned. So he understands, I think the middle ground as well. I just think, you know, it, it's, I'm looking at Wiley. I think I've tweeted that Doug, honestly, like early in the season, like we're going to find out a lot about Gonzalo Pineda by how well Caleb Wiley does. If he trusts him, if he puts him in games, if he develops uh, George Bello, the same thing before George Bello, was, was transferred. I thought George Bello was going to be uh, this big sort of uh, 
test case for Gonzalo Pineda. Does he trust him? Does he get him? Does he make him a better player? So definitely the left side of, of the defense, because that's where he played as a, as, as a young player and at the highest level in a World Cup. So the attack, to answer, to get to that, Doug, you know, I think that's the big question, you know, because I think Gonzalo Pineda, honestly, is still slightly more conservative than the other coaches that have been in Atlanta. And if you followed Gabriel Heinze, like I didn't get to do enough reporting because he was gone so quickly. But Gabriel Heinze wasn't this all-out attacking coach. He pressed a lot. They were one of the Velas was one of the highest, the, the highest, uh, the, the team that pressed the most uh, throughout the uh, Argentine league. But they weren't this team that was just, you know, all out attack like Tata and, and really had those players. And I think Pineda is even, you know, with all the things that we've, all the caveats that I brought up, has turned him a little more conservative as well. And so it's going to be interesting to see. I think that's part of the problem, honestly, because then you have the freelancers and they're just kind of doing their own thing. But not to go off on a tangent, I just feel like there's still question marks about where Gonzalo Pineda's stamp is going to be truly on the team. Um, but Doug, I, I do think it's going to be Caleb Wiley, the left side, the, you know, George Campbell, like those players that are, you know, really emerging and are going to be expected to be key contributors at a young age. That's going to be on Gonzalo Pineda. He has said that he doesn't mind playing young players. So I think that pretty much answered your question. One, and just one more different topic. Obviously, huge news uh, about uh, World Cup coming to Atlanta. Does that mm -hmm. impact the team at all? Is it a distraction? Is it neutral because it's completely different? What's your take on that? Well, it's definitely going to impact the team uh, come February 2026 because uh, the you know Mercedes-Benz Stadium is going to have the turf removed and it's going to go. It's going to be you know natural grass pitch for uh the world cup and in being at that event last thursday uh i know that was a big question for fans and even people outside of atlanta like how are they going to play at mercedes-benz stadium with turf and that question was answered straight up you know this is uh, a two-year process they replaced the turf this is what i learned they replaced the turf every two years so in 2024 they're going to begin that process of replacing the current turf and in doing that they're going to start implementing all the technology, the irrigation, all of that that's needed to bring in natural natural grass. Come World Cup, when those games are going on, Atlanta United is not going to have a stadium. They won't have a, a home stadium. So I think that's that's going to be an issue. You know, and in talking to some officials at the event on Thursday, uh, the consensus was sort of like, you know, Atlanta is going to have to go back to the the 20, you know, that 2017 period where they were in between stadiums and it happened in Nashville as well before they opened their stadium and they have to go on the road for nine games because, again, MLS is still the only league in the world that is going to be playing games during a World Cup. And so that leaves Atlanta United without a home field. Will it be Bobby Dobb? That is a possibility. Uh, but that will certainly affect the team when, when that when Mercedes-Benz Stadium is taken over by FIFA for 30 days, it's not just for the six games, if they happen to get six games. No, I'm not breaking news there. But uh, <laughs> I think Atlanta wants as many games as they can get. But uh, FIFA essentially takes over the venue. They take it over. They don't take it over for the two games that you're getting. They don't take it over for 
you know, the opening ceremony and then they're done. It's like, I mean, if a, a venue like Atlanta with everything that's here, the infrastructure that's there, the type of venue that they have, this, what the city can offer to international visitors, the fact that Atlanta is still bidding for to be the hub for the International Broadcasting Center, which I think they're going to get, it makes Atlanta a, a key city during the World Cup in 2026. And that means FIFA is essentially just here for a month. And so Atlanta United, uh, they're going to get a lot of buzz. They're going to get a lot of press. They're going to certainly benefit from all of this. But on the field, it's going to be tough for them to see where they play. Anything else, Doug? Did he get eaten by this dog? All right, I hope not. Uh, anyone else? If not, we'll call it with that. I think that's sort of a good way to, to end it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Again, last call. If you've got a question, hit me up. Let's go to the chat. I love the chat. I'd be shocked if MLS doesn't take a long break in 2026. I'd look for them to do a lot different that year from David. I would like to see that. I don't know if, if, if MLS has uh, the bank account, the savings account to say we're just going to stop playing because that's the thing. Like the, the World Cup venues, when they hand over the venue to FIFA, it's like what happens to the employees? You know, the employees that work game days, that work concerts, like suddenly they don't have anything to do. Uh, and, and that's where the city has to come in and like everything has to be in place in order to combat that. And you have to make sure you maximize the opportunity so that when you, those games are coming to your city, you know, you are really, uh, making up for lost revenue. I mean, that's, that's part of this. It's like the unspoken part of the, the being a host city. And so, uh, as David suggests, uh, you know, can, can MLS do that? Like, I don't know. You know, they're so used to playing in the summer. I don't know what the other venues that aren't World Cup cities would have to say about that. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. You know, I think the 2026 World Cup is going to be absolutely massive for for North America. I think it's going to be great for the U.S. Uh, just like 94 was the birth of MLS, I think 2026 will be just a big trampoline for the league. I think as far as exposure goes, You'll see more players coming. By that time, I think a lot of these restrictions that we uh, talk about so much are going to be loosened or changed. Uh, but I think the number one thing, more than anything, is that I just think the U.S. I think the U.S. national team by the 2026 World Cup is going to be pretty good. I mean, that's the goal. That's what they're playing for right now. The 2022 World Cup is an appetizer for the U.S. Because by the 2026, when that comes around, this same team that we're watching you know, if they stay together, they stay healthy, they can be good guys. They can be. Now, if does that going to, going to change the perspective uh, and the appeal of the sport in the U.S.? Like, I, that's where I have questions. You know, Infantino, the FIFA president, patronizing everybody, saying that the soccer is going to be the number one sport in North America in 2026. That's not happening. That's ridiculous. It was a ridiculous statement by Giannini Infantino. Just, I can't, it's like, don't patronize us. We all go to college football games. <laughs> you know, you see, you see the billion dollar business that is the NFL. Uh, don't, we're not even talking about March Madness and the NBA. For MLS to just suddenly, you know, beat those leagues and just be the number one league in, in North America, that's, that's just not, he doesn't know what he's talking about.
but it's going to be huge for North America regardless. The goal shouldn't be to beat the NFL and beat NBA. It's going to be massive. I can't wait. Uh, but again, I think 2022 is going to give us an idea of what the U.S. team is going to look like come four years, you know, four years from now. So again, I can go all day, guys, but it is Father's Day. I should probably go see my kids. And thank you so much for doing this or for jumping on. I'll do this again. I'm going to be podcasting more often. So look out for that. And thanks for subscribing. Until next time, take care. Peace.